The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Thank you. Be seated. Well, we're into chapter 15 of Romans, only one more chapter after this one, and just to kind of give you a heads up of where we're going next, we, uh, we will do a little intermission of, of individual sermons that are topical in nature, uh, but they will still be expositional, meaning we'll work verse by verse on a passage that addresses that topic. It'll be about five weeks, and then we'll, that times it so that we start our next study uh, when community groups kick off, and that'll be First John. So we'll be studying the book of First John, and that will last till right up until Christmas time. And so I uh, look forward to that study. And uh, but we have two more chapters. Don't check out of Romans yet. Paul has a lot left to say to us. But uh, uh, today we see, <clears throat> excuse me, Paul has been teaching us that in verses one through eleven, the gospel. The gospel is that we are made. God is justifying ungodly sinners through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, three big theological terms, justification, sanctification, glorification. We really haven't used those much. But the idea is that when we put our faith in Christ, we're declared right with God. That's justification. Sanctification is from that point on, the rest of our life on earth until, Christ, until we're in the presence of Christ, we're being made into the image of, of Christ. That this is God's work in us. He says that those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of God. And so God is guaranteeing this work in our lives, that we are looking more like Christ, made in his image. And that will be finished, glorified, glorification will be finished when we're in the presence of Christ. And he finally finishes the removal of all sin and the effects of sin. And so this is all God's work in us through our faith union with Jesus Christ. And then Paul pivots in chapter 12 to the rest of the book and says, Hey, if this has happened in you, then you should, you must live a radically different life. And in essence, that life can be summed up with one word. I'll give you a shot at it. Give it one word to sum in view of the mercies of God. How should we live? What would be what Paul's been saying? How should we live? One word. Love. Love. I heard it. Love. That's it. And so in essence, he says we should, if we're filled with the love of Christ, then we should become radically loving people. That's the summary of God's word. Love God, love people. When God invades our soul, we become a loving people. And he said that means we are patient with one another. We are kind. We are gentle. We are understanding. We bear one another's burdens. We lay our life down for them. We even are this way towards those who would consider us their enemies, those who hate us and despise us for our our walk with Christ. He says, whether they're in the church, out of the church, this is how we should respond and relate to one another. We should love as we have been loved in Christ. And so this has been Paul's message. And he said, even with your enemies, and he pivots there and kind of says, if you consider your government your enemy, Submit to the government as much as you possibly can. Honor, respect, love the people who God has placed over you in authority. Give your life to embrace, maintain a posture of embracing their leadership. Of course, we don't go with them if they lead us against the will of God. But as much as we can, we maintain a posture of, of honoring and respecting and submitting to the authority of the government. And then he pivots back to the church and he says, hey... 
We're all in a different place in that sanctification. We're all in different places in learning how to live out the implications of our faith in Christ. We have different understandings of what we're free in Christ to do and not to do. And we're going to be in different places. He says the church should not be a place of condemnation and judgment. The church should be a place of love and acceptance where we're free to learn how to live out the implications of our faith in Christ. Love one another. When you think about the church, the one outstanding characteristics of the church should be that we are loving. In fact, in verse 1 and 2, that's where he goes again today. He says, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification, his building up. And so he's saying the same message as he brings the main body of his letter to a conclusion. Love one another, accept one another, put, put others ahead of your own, inside the church and outside. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then we see in verse 7, therefore accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. And see, that's what all this is about. All of this is about the glory of God. This passage makes it clear that Paul's, that God's plan from beginning to end, the whole point of the gospel, the whole thrust of the gospel, the long-term purpose of the gospel, the message of the word of God is God being glorified through a unified people that have been unified by their faith in the Messiah. That there's something different about them that people say only God could do that. And it makes great worth and value and weightiness of the greatness of God when people see that. And that's what he says. Look at verse 6. He says, so with one accord, you may with one voice glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's been saying. Why were you saved? What is the point of God saving you? To a large extent, what he's saying is, listen, the bigger picture that's going on here is that God saved radically different people that are from all different walks of life, divided on every possible measure, whether it's politically, ethnically, racially, economically, culturally. He's taking a people that are completely different in every possible way imaginable. And he's saying, I'm going to bring you together and you're going to become a people who instead of despising one another for your differences, see the beauty and the majesty and the glory of God in the manifold wisdom of him bringing us all together where we are self-denying for one another, where we are sacrificing for one another, where we are united and accepting and loving one another in a way that no one else does this. Paul says that's what this is about. That's what's going on here. He's grounding his appeal to love one another, accept one another, embrace one another in the, in the scriptures and in the gospel, saying this is what God is doing. He's magnifying himself. He's revealing his own glory in doing this. And so he says, this is a big deal. Loving one another is huge. 
This is the plan of God to reveal himself to the world. It's through our love of one another and our unity, despite all of the natural, physical, fleshly differences that we might have. And so Paul is grounding this appeal as he wraps it up. He's grounding his appeal in the plan and purposes of God as it relates to the gospel. So let me ask you, is that what you're doing? Are you loving each other like that? And I would say most of us would say, I think I'm doing pretty good. And I would say, I think we are doing pretty good. But I have a problem. I, I have a big problem. I, sent, I tend to think I'm doing pretty good all the time at these things. I mean, I read it, I'm like, yeah, we're doing pretty good. And so I thought about it more deeply this week, and I said, no, really, are we doing this well as a people? So once again, let's think about this fall as we get our list of who's in our community group this year, and let's get into the minds of what's going on. You find out who you're going to be with for, it, for this school year, and the first thought comes to your mind, that dude's just weird. I'm going to be with that person for a year. I can do this. I can do this. Why did they look at Jeff Howard just then? <laughs> Brandon like. Or do you think to yourself, man, she's so arrogant. Or do you see that couple and go, I don't know. They're liberal. Or do you think to yourself, I know where they are. I, listen, I know. I remember when we studied Romans. That, they're Arminians. How'd they even sneak in this church? Or they're Calvinists. Five-point hardcore Calvinists. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. That's just... I can't do it. I just can't relate to them. We have nothing in common. They don't care about anybody but themselves. He's so critical. She's so immature. We just don't click. We're in completely different stages of life. They've raised their kids... We're in the middle of raising kids. They don't get it. They don't understand me. They don't get me. I don't get them. I don't know. How are we going to... But none of us say that out loud. We may grumble it to our spouse if we're married. may say it to our close friends. But in the end, you're not going to say it to me. And you're not going to say it out loud. So is that what Paul... Is that what Paul is calling us to? Is Paul saying the whole purposes of God are fulfilled in that? Because what you will do is you will say, I got this. I can do this. And you put on a happy face. Yeah, I know what I signed up for. I can be in group with them. It's only two hours a week. Is that the great call of the gospel of Jesus Christ? To tolerate one another for two hours a week. And check that box. There is a massive difference between being in a community group with someone and having community with someone. And we as a church need to take it to the next level. I praise God that every member in this church is in a community group and does humanly do everything they can to put on a smile and be gracious in that sense of the word and to say, hey, you know what? I can be in group with them. I can do this. It's only eight months or however many it is. 
We need to move from tolerating those that we find hard to accept and move beyond that to say, I genuinely love, am devoted to, will sacrifice for, will deny self for, will accept, will lay down my life. We'll meet with them beyond the two hours. We'll look for ways to promote God's will in their life. We'll read the scriptures together with them. We'll be honest and open with what's going on in my life. We'll grieve when they grieve. We'll rejoice when they rejoice. We'll struggle with them. We'll sacrifice time, energy, emotion, possessions, money for them because the Spirit in me loves the Spirit. In them. That's what God's calling us to. We're not there yet. So how do we get from where we are to there? I pray that God gives us some wisdom and insight on how to do that. We're going to see three key ingredients to moving that next step to genuinely accepting and loving and embracing people who everything in our flesh We say, if we're honest, I just don't like them. How do we get there? Lord, help us know how to get there. Lord, help us fulfill the commands that you've been giving us through Paul in all these days. Lord, help us not just tolerate one another, not just be politically correct and friendly and go through the motions, but genuinely move beyond the point of being in community with people and genuinely, instead, having genuine community with people. Make it happen, please, Lord. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to see Paul gives us three key ingredients to becoming this self-denying, sacrificing, unified people to the glory of God. This is different than the fraternity. This is different than the Rotary Club. This is different than the trade organization. This is a radically different transformative experience that only this kind of unity in the Spirit of God brings glory to God. How do we do it? First of all, we must experience the gospel. Now, these passages, this paragraph that Paul has written is very complex. There's a lot in there, but I think the best way to work through it is if you think the whole paragraph looks like this. It breaks from 1 to 6 and then 7 to 13. Put those side by side, and they're very parallel. So you're going to hear me go 3, 7, and 8. And then I'm going to do verse 4, 9 through 12, then verse 5 and 6, verse 13. So the first ingredient we have to have to experience this God-glorifying, self-denying, sacrificing unity in the body to the glory of God is the gospel. He says in verse 3, For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Skip down to verse 7. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say, Christ has become a servant to the circumcision 
on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. So in these verses, Paul says, the only way that you and I can experience such radical unity and love despite all of our differences as represented as represented in the Bible as Jew and Gentile, that's everyone into two categories. He says the only thing that could bring together Jews and Gentiles, black and white, rich, poor, culturally diverse people in every sense of the word, the only thing that can bring together in unity and make them love one another, deny for one another, sacrifice for one another, is if they've experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is not just something we do with our own efforts. This is not a fraternity. This is not us just saying, hey, we all agree on the same things and we find unity in that. No, he's saying it's a deep, spirit-wrought love from within the soul that is produced only by God upon the transformation of the Holy Spirit in those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul quotes here Psalm 69.9, applying it to Jesus Christ. He says, the reproaches of those who've approached you fell on me. He's saying that in the gospel, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, received the wrath of God on our behalf. He bore our reproach. Therefore, you bear one another's burdens. Now, he's not just saying Jesus is our example, though he is. He's not just saying he motivates us, though he does. He's saying that by him bearing our reproach, he then reconciled us to God. And when we are united with him and the spirit of God indwells us, then that reconciles us together. He says the only way that you are going to experience this kind of reconciliation, this kind of unity that crosses all barriers, all denominational barriers, all religious barriers, all political barriers, all ethnic barriers, all economic barriers, the only way is if you are in Christ. Where the Spirit of God living in me embraces the Spirit of God living in you. This is a spiritual unity that transcends all other divisions. So Paul is saying, if you want to experience this in your church, you have to first experience the infilling of the Holy Spirit of God through your faith in Jesus Christ. And then and only then do you have what is a theme woven throughout this text. You have the hope of the gospel. The hope is not a a wishful Hope that something happens. I hope I have this dessert tonight. The hope of the Bible is a confident, steadfast assurance of when we've experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ, all the promises of the scriptures are yes in Christ. All the spiritual blessings are yours in Christ. Your identity is in Christ. You are declared righteous in Christ. Your life belongs to Christ. He says, I will protect you. I will provide for you. I will provide for everything you need. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. He says, I guarantee those whom I foreknew, I also predestined. They will be conformed to the image of God. You are mine. Nothing will separate you. All purpose, all pain that you experience in life now has a purpose and it is for your good. For we know that God has demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were sinners, yet Christ died for us. 
God says, everything that happens in your life, I will use it for your good. That is the hope of the gospel. When we understand that, then and only then are we free to give ourselves away. If I think that I've got to get all I can, then I will can all that I get. If I think that God has my back, that God will provide, then I am free to sacrifice. When I understand who I am in Christ, I am not obligated to defend my name when someone accuses me because I'm secure in Christ. When I know that God is going to take care of me, I don't have to spend my life fighting for my own rights. I can spend my life giving it away to provide for others. Only when we are grounded in the rock-solid assurance of the hope of the gospel are we then able to give and give and give and sacrifice and give until it hurts and then give some more. We have to be a people that's all about the gospel. That's not just pray a prayer and get saved. It is understanding the depths of the gospel as I just described it. Then and only then are we able to begin to be a self-denying, sacrificing people who embrace one another to the glory of God. Do you know the gospel that way? Or have you just... Listen, we've grown up in Shreveport. If you're from Shreveport or in the area, you know, you know what, you've heard of the gospel. You cognitively understand something about the gospel. You know biblical terms. You know churchy terms. That's not what Paul's talking about. That's fraternal. Thinking it's what unites us is simply a doctrinal statement. That's, That's a fraternal order. That's not the church. The church is the content of the gospel opening your understanding to experience Christ and have the Spirit of God invade your soul and give you a new heart and radically transform your mind and your heart so that you are willing to self-deny and sacrifice for people who you used to not like. That is a spiritual unity that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So the first ingredient that we must have is the gospel. The second ingredient we must have is the scriptures. How do we have this? Well, we must experience the gospel and we must know the scriptures. I'm going to look at verse 4 and then later 8 through 12 as parallel passages. First of all, he says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. Purpose clause. So that... Through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Hope is necessary to live this way. It's grounded in the gospel. The gospel secures our hope, but the scriptures instruct us and increase and provide for us 
more understanding and deeper rooting in the gospel hope. He says the scriptures are there to instruct us. They're written instructions. This means that as believers, we must move beyond the elementary understanding that where we think the Bible is a random collection of pithy statements that powerfully affect us when God in His grace allows us to read a verse that happens to intersect our unique circumstances at just such a time that it has a powerful impact on us. Thank God for that blessing. But that's not really the primary purpose of the Bible. But too many of us think that the Bible is just that. I've got something going on. I was reading and oh my gosh. Look what it says. But we're here to teach the word of God. To understand the whole counsel of the scriptures. From beginning to the end. What is the Bible saying? What does it mean? What is its message? What has God written to us to know? It's a book to be read from cover to cover like any book, but yet it's not like any other book in the world. Those I mentioned, the cohort, those who've gone through the cohort have studied the the message of the Bible. They understand the covenants that bring this Bible into a one coherent message so that when you go to any text In the Bible, you know where it fits in. They have been taught and trained through weeks and weeks of diligent study and testing and proving that this Bible is not first and foremost about you. It's not first and foremost about me and my circumstances. This Bible is about the God of the universe. This is a message that God himself has provided to us to reveal his character, his plans, his purposes. And we then understand ourselves in light of his message and what he has revealed. And then it brings perspective and it grounds us in the bedrock foundation of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where we learn what God has done, what God is doing and what he will do. We understand that God, because of sin, has been on a mission to bring about a people who are redeemed and reconciled to himself. And they will one day live on an earth that has been redeemed and set free from the effects of sin. And those people, having been set free from the effects of sin, will be from all walks of life. That people from every tongue, of every tribe, of every nation, of every race, ethnicity, Culture, economics, and politics will all be brought together and they will worship the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And they will, the nations will see this bubbling up and see this forming first and among the people of Israel and then among the people of the church. And they will look upon and they will see surely this God is in their midst. He is doing a supernatural work in them, a God who is so near to them. And they will be drawn to worship the Messiah. And it brings great glory and majesty to the king's name. How do I know all that? Scriptures. So in verse 4 he says, The scriptures instruct us, they give us 
perseverance. They encourage us in the hope that we have in the gospel. And in verses 9 through 12, I'll begin in verse 8. He then quotes his Hebrew Bible, your Old Testament. And he quotes from the law, prophets, and writings to make his point that this is what God's been doing all along. He quotes, I'll begin in verse 8. He says, For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, that's the Jews, on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. Do you know the promises of our Jewish fathers? Do you know that if you're in Christ, you have been grafted in to become a participant? You worship the Jewish Messiah. We worship the Jewish Messiah. Do you know the promises? That's to Abraham in Genesis 12. He told Abraham, this is what I'm going to do. And when Christ came, he says, Paul says, he was fulfilling those promises. We must know the scriptures. In verse 9, he goes on to say, not only did he do this to confirm the truth of his promises to the Jews, but also he did this for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. Oh, how merciful it was for God to allow the Gentiles to be grafted in to the Jewish branch. How merciful it was that God didn't just write us off, but he allows us to participate in the promises of the covenants he made with the Jews. Do you know these things for yourself from reading your scriptures? This is how you persevere in giving your life away. This is how you are encouraged daily to lay down your life and serve even those who hate you. It only comes by the encouragement and instruction and supernatural enablement of God and His Holy Spirit as we bathe ourselves in His Word. In verse 10, again, he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. Not just Jews, not just Gentiles, but Jews and Gentiles. Let all the peoples praise him. And again, now quoting from the prophets, Isaiah says, There shall come the root of Jesse. Do you know who the root of Jesse is? Have you ever heard these terms? We must know the scriptures. Jesse was the father of David. Jesus is the covenant son of David. David was promised in 2 Samuel 7, you will have a son. It wasn't his first son, Solomon. We were still, until Jesus arrived on the scene, we're looking for the one who will be the son of Abraham, the son of David, the covenant son of God, who will be the eternal ruler of God's kingdom. And he says, he has arrived, the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles in him shall the Gentiles hope. He is the source of our hope. And that hope is what frees us to give ourselves away for others. So do you see what Paul's doing here? Paul's been commanding the Jews and the Gentiles to love and accept one another in the spiritual union they have in Christ. And he's showing them from the law, the prophets, and the writing, the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew sacred scriptures, our Old Testament, that this is the story of God's word. This is God's plan of redemption. God will save men and women from every tongue, every tribe of every nation, and he will bring glory to himself as he does this. How important it is that we understand our scriptures, that we study. 
the scriptures, that we know the overarching story of God and what he's doing from beginning to end. That is what God has provided to instruct you, to give you perseverance, because it takes perseverance to give yourself away, to encourage you, to make you able to experience this self-denying, sacrificing unity in the church. So we know we need the gospel. We have to have that spiritual transaction, that transformation. This is not just a human endeavor. We also see we've got to know the word of God. We have to diligently study the word of God. And we're working. We're bringing another staff member on next Wednesday to continue where Ham left off. And his job is to help me and the elders continue to take where he has finished and go to the next level of bringing about training in these things. But finally, Paul says, the last key ingredient you've got to have, and we should all know what's coming, the gospel, the scriptures, the last ingredient is prayer. The things that we've heard all of our life that are so important. Look at verses 5 and 6. Now, listen to his prayer. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant to you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at the words. Look at, the, look at this grammar. Who is the acting agent? God. And what is he doing? He will give perseverance. He will give encouragement. He grants us to have the same mind in Christ. He fills us with joy. He fills with peace. How? He fills with hope. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. We must be praying, God, Overcome my selfish flesh. God, give me perseverance. God, make me peaceful. Make me joyful. Give me a love for others. Fill me with the hope of Christ. Make me so certain of the truths of the gospel that I am willing to give myself away no matter how much it costs me. Are we praying like that? Is that the prayers in our two-hour gathering with the people that we tolerate? Or are we entering into relationships with people and saying, God, make us one. God, forgive me for my arrogance and my disdain and my Pride. God, forgive me for my prejudice. God, forgive me for my judgments and my condemnation. God, overwhelm me. Spirit of God living in me, rise up and embrace the Spirit of God living in them. That is how we glorify God. 
We have got to get to the next stage as a church. We are not just doing community group together. We need to have gospel community that is self-denying, sacrificing to the glory of God. And that is a spiritual transaction. Let's pray together. Lord, we see that you've called us and we must make the decision with our will. We must choose to repent and believe and obey. We must study the scriptures and we must search the depths of the gospel. We must proclaim the truths of the gospel to ourselves daily to fight sin, temptation, but ultimately, God, we need you to work powerfully in our hearts. Overcome our pride and prejudices. Overcome our con- condemnation, our condemning spirits. Make us a uniquely loving people that can only be explained by your work in our hearts. Lord, move us today. Move us out of this place. May we go and seek out people who are different from us. And may we call upon your mercy and grace to give us unity with them. May they come to know you. May your spirit live within them and then may you not unite us May the Spirit of God bring us together as one. May we reflect your glory. Every tongue of every tribe, of every nation, of every political persuasion, of every economic class, of every cultural experience, of every single possible thing that would divide us. May you flip them on their head like you do with everything on the cross. May you make those a glorious display of your ability to transform all those differences into a beautiful display of your glory. Lord, would you do that for us, please? We commit that we will study your scriptures. We will meditate and give ourselves to the gospel purposes we pray that your spirit will move powerfully that you will unite us with those who hate us that you will unite us despite all of our differences and in so doing would you make for yourself a testimony to your own glory it's in Christ's name we pray Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.